Welcome back to the Words Over Ice show. I'm Ray. I'm your host. Got a good one today. Brad Marshall, the unplugged psychologist. The guy deals with video game addiction, online addiction, and just screen addiction in general with kids and teens these days. It's a very serious topic for a lot of parents. A lot of parents are dealing with this now, so hopefully you get a lot out of it. Um, be sure you jump over to our Instagram page and show some love. Follow us there at the Words Over Ice show. We've been getting a lot of support from you guys, which we truly appreciate. Make sure to continue that and keep it up. Patreon.com slash the Words Over Ice show to donate. And you can find all this on our website, wordsovericeshow.com. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Mr. Brad Marshall. Brad, how you doing, my friend? Doing real well, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Sure. So you are the unplugged psychologist. I am. I am. (laughs) What does that mean exactly? Yeah, that's a very good question. That's a very interesting question. I mean, look, (laughs) what I often say when I refer to myself as the unplugged psychologist is I don't mean that literally. I mean, obviously, we are are on technology right now as we talk across the world. Um, but I guess that's my banner for a lot of work that I do uh, around families and kids and teenagers around trying to find the balance in technology and their technology use. Okay. How'd you get into that? Uh, that is a very, how far do you want me to go back here? Let's see. Um, I've been a, a child psychologist for about 10 years now. Okay. Uh, I started my career and my early training in the hospital system in Sydney, Australia. Um, Mm -hmm. and where they have sort of child and adolescent mental health departments, they call them. Um, and probably about eight years ago, uh, we were all sort of sitting around a table. You've got a couple of really senior doctors there, psychiatrists, and it's a multidisciplinary team. It's a, it's a big kind of meeting, um, you have once a week. Uh, and the first patient that came through the door, um, not literally, but I I suppose was on the list to discuss in that meeting, uh, was a young Mm -hmm. man who, um, who had gaming addiction, I guess, or or gaming disorder, as we would call it now. Um, And he was sort of engrossed in the online world and he wasn't going to school. And, um, you know, it was kind of a sad story for this young man. Uh, And they're looking around the table and the very senior people are kind of talking about who can see this young man and no one put their their hand up. Um, And finally, just the senior doctor there said, Brad, you're it. And I I said, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm it? Uh, And he said, well, you know, you're it. And I said, I I know nothing about this. What are you talking about? And he Uh said, you play video games, right? Of course, I was a younger, you know, uh, male child psychologist, which is a little bit rare. Um, Uh And he said, well, you play video games, so you know more about this than anyone else. So you're it. Um, And that's literally what kicked the ball rolling here. I mean, that's what started all of this. So, Fast forward sort of eight years, um, I have uh, an internet addiction clinic um, as part of my bigger clinic in Sydney. Um, I was one of the first ones to open an internet addiction clinic uh, for kids uh, that opened about seven or eight years ago. Um, And Mm -hmm. these days, I get way more referrals than I can even see. And unfortunately, I have to sort of turn away dozens of referrals every year. Um, I, I just don't have the time. So right. that's kind of where it is right now. But um, it came from a place where I didn't set out down this path eight years ago. It was not by design. I, I'd like to sit there and say, you know, I was way ahead of the curve, Ray. And and I really knew something that no one else knew. I, I, I didn't. I just fell into it. You got thrusted into it. I which did. Which is fine. That, ha- that happens with most most things in life. Most good things. It kind of happens by accident, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about that for a second. Gaming addiction in particular is a phrase that's kind of being tossed around in the psychology world these days. And there's kind of two schools of thought on it, right? Do you have the one side who believes it's like rubbish, like it's not a real thing, right? Sure. And then you have the other side of people who really think it's a sickness. And they believe it's an addiction, a real addiction on par with that of drugs and alcohol and all those other things. And it's a chemical imbalance and all that kind of stuff, right? So you have those two sides. How do you, and so we know, I mean, obviously I know your stance on it. You have a clinic and everything. Um, but how do you, how do you talk to people and how do you tell people who are on the opposite end and think it's a millennial thing that we're just going through and making up? How do you combat that with all the negative feedback? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, Ray. I don't find the need to combat that argument. Um, I don't typically try to get drawn into that argument. Right. Although I have a clinic called the Internet Addiction Clinic, um, the reality is I named it that simply because that's what parents were calling it. Uh, it's okay. not because I think that that needs to be a diagnostic term. Um, and to be honest with you, Ray, I don't really care what academics call it. I mean, to me, it's all semantics, right? Whether you call it mm. problematic gaming use, whether you call it gaming disorder, whether you call it gaming or screen addiction, um, you know, if the academics want to fight over that stuff, Ray, then then I'm going to let them have it. Um, I am a person who I very much see myself as a clinician. I'm a hands-on guy. I'm here to help families. And so, uh, you know, internet addiction and gaming addiction is not a technical term. It's not a diagnostic term. I absolutely acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really just not all that fast about what it's called. Um, I just want to help people. Yeah. Okay. Me personally, I'm in the camp that supports it and believes it and call it what you will call it a sickness, call it a disease, call it a mental disorder or what, what have you. I I don't know the proper terminology for it, but I know firsthand for me, at least I have an older son, a teenager who suffers through it and is currently suffering through it. And it's, it's very real. It's a very real thing that I see on a firsthand basis Sure. to the point where if it's, it's crazy, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you, where it's literally when they get off of school, the first thing they think about is games. They want to be on games through the night. Mm. And you know, there, there's been times where you catch them at 2 AM in the morning when they're supposed to have, you know, quote unquote unplugged and gone to bed, mm. you know, you come down and you see lights under a door or you hear, you hear, you know, the video game and you come down and they're on it on a school night at 2 a.m. in the morning, where literally this is all they think about. And when I've spoken, and I'm going to get a little personal here, but when I've spoken to, to my son about it, he's actually even said, you know, I, I dream in, in video, and it's, it's alarming, but he goes, I dream in video game, like right. a video game world. And for someone like me, I, don't, I, don't, I can't understand that, right? But I'm, but it, and I'm just trying to let everyone know it's a real thing. I've, I've experienced it firsthand. And, and where they they see things and I've talked to him about, you know, going, you know, how about going to let's just say Australia, for example, and where he would say, you know, I don't really feel the need to be there in person. I think we can do everything like, you know, virtually. Virtually. Right. Yeah. Which is it's scary. You know what I mean? I mean, so I, I'm sure you're coming across a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think we come from a similar place then Ray. I mean, I don't really care what we call it. Um, but the reality is that I see that it is a massive problem. And, I can absolutely understand that some other people might not see it that way, and, and certainly I have a skewed version of it, right? Right. Because uh, the reality is that my clinic sees the worst of the worst, in this country mm -hmm. anyway. 
Um, And I don't mean that in a derogatory way towards these kids, but I, I see things at the pointy end. It is not uncommon these days in Australia for me to see kids uh, that have AVOs, apprehended violence orders against them. So I don't know if you guys have that. Um, it's like a domestic violence order against them by the police. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, abs- every week, at least at least once a week, I get an email from wow. a parent that the, the police have taken that out against their, their child, usually their son, but not always. Um, just because things have gotten so heated, it's not unusual um, in my clinic to see kids that have threatened suicide and and have mm-hmm. uh, broken stuff in the home, you know, holes in walls, windows smashed, um, you know, hurt brothers and sisters, other things like that, all around taking screens away. Um, sometimes it's video games, sometimes it's social media. It doesn't really matter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when that is obviously the most extreme, and, and I'm not suggesting that everyone gets there, um, but... I guess for me it is difficult to understand how someone can dismiss the whole idea flatly when when that's the stuff that I see on a daily. Um, right. So, yeah, certainly it is a smaller minority of people that get to, to that point, but that is the kind of stuff that, that rips families apart. You know, it takes an incredible toll on a family and on parents um, when, when that stuff's happening, uh, and it's really scary for them. It's, it's very scary. I mean, it's... Literally, and you touched on it a bit, like we went through the same thing as I alluded to before, but, you know, thoughts of suicide came into play. There wasn't the violence with with us, right? The violence wasn't there, but whenever we would see that it was getting too, too excessive and it was, you know, hurting other aspects of life and, you know, schooling and, you know, your social, your social life and things like that. And you you go to take these things away from the kid, Mm. you know, they, he, he threatened suicide literally. Mm. And we had to put him in a, in a clinic for that. And it has, it's, it's, it's taken a big toll on this family to the point where it, it, and it's hard as a parent. And, you know, again, I'm speaking, you know, from my own experience, it's hard for me to, to understand and how to actually deal with that or where it comes from, because th- these kids, it's just hard to talk to them. Cause when you talk to them, they just, the whole thing is you don't understand. You don't understand how it makes me feel. And you don't understand, you know, the connection I have with this game and, and the, you know, the community that I built within it, it's almost as if they've created a whole new identity in this other virtual world. Yeah. I mean, first of all, thanks for sharing that, Ray. I mean, that's, um, that's really scary stuff for any family to go through, but mm-hmm. I think that it helps with people like you talking about this stuff. Um, because so often when I, when I get asked to do media interviews, perhaps there's a parent there that's been through this and, and the general public that haven't experienced this, um, it's a very sad reaction that the parents get. You know, they shout them down, they criticize them and say, you know, it's so easy, just take the device, you know, you need to be yeah. a parent, man up. Um, and it's it's horrible stuff because they haven't been in this situation. They haven't seen um, how fueled it can get. So it's it's really tricky. But look, to, to come back to your point about, you know, you mentioned that it, it, it can impact social life, it can impact education. And um, you're on the right track there. I guess the way that I think about this stuff uh, is is an age-old sort of psychological way around kids' development. So there are five main areas of development. And when I talk to schools or corporate events or wherever I am, when parents ask me, how do we know when we should be concerned? How do we know when there's a problem? I usually mm-hmm. use this model of development. So that is social development, emotional development, behavioral development, educational development and health okay and Mm -hmm. so we won't go into all sort of five areas but if you just take health for example what i'm talking about there is sleep 
You know, is this impacting on your child's sleep? I'm not talking about 10 or 15 minutes. I'm talking about are you finding them at 2 or 3 a.m. waking up to get around this, which is not uncommon. Uh, Is it impacting on their ability just to take a shower or exercise, right? That's all under health. So Mm -hmm. if you're ticking multiple boxes in multiple areas of, of development and you're squarely saying that the internet or screens or gaming is having, you know, the major impact on those areas, on your child's development, um, then I would suggest to you that that you have a bit of a problem on your hands um, and you need to do something about that. So that's the way that I think about it as to when to step in. Um, And, you know, then it gets pretty complicated as to sort of what to do from there. Um, But, yeah, that that, usually answers the question of when should parents be concerned anyway. So in your professional opinion, and I don't know how much experience, if any, that you have with drug addiction and drug addicts and, and the effects of those, but in your opinion, do you believe that gaming addiction and online addiction is on par with what we see with drug addicts as far as, I know there's a chemical component to it, but as far as what we experience mentally and physically? You know, I think it's a really hard question and, and, um, as most things uh, in in my field, we usually only figure that out probably 10 or 20 years after the fact. Um, the right. reality is that one of the problems we have here in, in clarifying that stuff is that research is so far behind game development, okay? So yeah. any research we can do in this area is a good 10 to 20 years behind um, what games are coming out. So as soon as we feel like we've got a bit of a handle on some of the research of the latest games, then everything has changed. Um, and that's simply because game developers and technology, um, you know, companies have a lot more money than researchers do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so is it the same as drug addiction? I mean, look, I, I am not an expert in drug addiction in any way, shape, or form. I guess some people have made comparisons to things like gambling addiction um, in that it does, we know uh, gaming does elicit um, a dopamine response in the brain in areas called the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala. Um, without getting sort of technical, it Uh, you know, the areas of the brain that are already underdeveloped for an adolescent, for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're thinking more and more that those areas, especially in boys, probably don't fully develop anyway. Um, You know, we used to think kind of 21 or something. You know, now it's kind of looking a little bit more like late 20s or or even 30. So those are the areas of the brain that are responsible for emotional control and impulse control and all these sorts of things. So we know that gaming through giving functional MRIs, we know that gaming is sort of messing with those areas. And we know that gaming and online use in general does elicit a dopamine response. And so for anyone who's not aware, um, we'll just go through dopamine real quick. I mean, essentially, you know, dopamine is the, the happy chemical, right? Right. Right. So you can get that through a whole bunch of stuff. You can eat, chocolate or bad foods or, you know, uh, drugs or gambling. So there is a similar, um, I guess, pathway or drug involved there, but we don't know enough about, you know, the specific pathway and which way it's taking and how it interacts with the brain to draw, you know, a steady conclusion saying it is just like drug use or it is just like gambling use. You know what I've noticed in gambling from people that I've known, at least who've had gambling problems. I don't know if I've ever known any serious gambling addicts, but I always feel like you're chasing the win, right? You're, you're, you've lost so much that you're trying to make up for it. And when you get that win, I don't know if it's the rush of dopamine, that's, that's the addictive part of it or, or what it is. But I feel like gaming, when I, when I turn to gamers, people who are addicted to video games, I feel like they're compensating. I feel like they're trying to be someone they're not. They're putting in this alter ego and 
maybe in this gaming world, this virtual world, they're the person that they want to be. And in real life, they can't be that person. Is this something you see a lot of? Yeah, you know, this is, um, you, you've really nailed a question here, right? Um, this is a very sort of philosophical or academic question um, that I was just having, I think, a week or two ago when I, I met up with a colleague, Professor Wayne Warburton, who works at Macquarie University here in Sydney. And he's sort of a leading expert in this area in, um, in aggression in games and violence in games in screen addiction in general. So Wayne is very much sort of what I would call, you know, the academic and he's, he's very good at this stuff, whereas I'm probably more the coalface clinician kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we were debating this very question, you know, the idea of um, is, is it that kids or, or even adults for that matter are, are compensating um, for something else? Has there been some kind of trauma or, or something like that in their life? You know, if you had asked me five or six years ago, Ray, I would have said probably yes. Um, and so five or six years ago, I was seeing a high percentage of people in my clinic where there had been something else going on. And so I only see kids. I don't see adults. And so typically it was something like bullying that was going on or a family breakdown or, you know, there was some reason for them to escape, um, you know, quote, unquote. Um, and so that was then giving rise to gaming and, and online stuff. These days, I don't know that that's the case. I see plenty of um, patients who who there is no identifiable reason or trauma or, or thing that they're trying to escape. And all I can put that down to um, and rationalize in my own head is that games and social media are, are just getting way better at what they're trying to do, right? Um, and right. so... I feel that there are a lot more kids these days anyway who are getting in this trap and this cycle without there being any sort of major event prior. Right. You know, something that I read or heard, I forget if I read it or heard it, but I I came across something that was really crazy, but very interesting to me uh, recently. And it's that video game companies, and it didn't mention any one company in particular or didn't drop any names, but that video game companies actually hire psychologists when they're creating these games. Right, they hire these psychologists to figure out how they can make these games more addicting and more appealing to kids, so that they can suck more gameplay out of them, more hours out of them. It's crazy. Sure, I mean, does that surprise you, Ray? No, not not at all. No, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I can't sit here and tell you that it's unequivocally true. I don't have a you know an HR access to the gaming companies, um, but I. I would not at all be surprised. Um, the reality is that this is a business for them. Um, and so they're going to do anything that they feel is going to increase profit. Oh, absolutely. And it's the same thing as tobacco companies and cigarette companies putting out bubblegum flavored vapes for quote unquote adults. No, that's not for adults. That's for kids. And I mean, let's that, be real. They hire people in their companies to target and to market towards children because they're the most impressionable and they're the easiest to target. And now the same thing is happening with gaming, but because it's so new and no one understands it, no one's really paying attention to it. Yeah. I mean, I think that for a lot of people, um, the jury is still out. You know, if, if, if someone has had experience uh, with this, or they have a friend that has a child that's been through this, um, then usually their opinion on this does kind of change a little bit, right? They can understand that it's not as easy as just saying, rip, rip the screen out, rip the screen out, right? It'll be easy, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but if you've never come in contact with this before, you don't know anyone that has, then the simplistic view is, why is this such a big deal? It was the same when I was a kid, just rip the screen out. Ray, did you ever play video games when you were a kid? I did. What'd you play? Uh, you know, I was, I was really big into sports. Um, yep. So you play some Madden or FIFA or? I was a big basketball. I forget what it was called. NBA um, Jam and, and all those. NBA, sorts Jam, of yeah. NBA Jam was my favorite. But okay. one game I do remember playing and staying up all night playing was Resident Evil when it first came okay. out. Okay. Yep. I remember I got the game and I was so excited. I locked myself in the room and it had to be, I don't know, six or seven o'clock at yep. night. And it was a newer game, right? And this is the first time I'm being introduced to zombies. So it was kind of a scary game. There's a lot of jump scares and things like that. So it's pitch black. And I remember feeling like I had been playing for like mm. an hour, maybe at most. But I look over at the clock and it's 2.15 in the morning. Sure. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, no way I've been playing this for almost six hours. But that just goes to show you like how addicting these games can be. And time yeah. just flies. But I was never a big a big video game player. Normally, like I said, I play sports game, one game here, one game there, stuff like that. Right. What, um, what console did you play that on Ray? I'm, I'm testing you here, but do you remember what it was on? <laughs> I want to say that was, I don't remember. God, so I was, was a big amazing. master system guy, <laughs> Sega master system and mega drive. Yeah. And then we had a Nintendo 64. Um, it look, might have been Nintendo 64. 64. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, look, you know, games back then were, were entertaining and mildly addictive, right? Um, mm-hmm. I can't right. sit here and say that I didn't have a couple of all-nighters with my brother and, and my mates as well, um, probably playing, mm-hmm. uh, what were we playing? Mario Kart and, and, and James Bond, Goldeneye, you know, the multiplayer oh, yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, it was a blast, a man. <laughs> um, but games these days are different. And mm. they're not that simple, right? So the only way for me to be social during a game back then um, was to literally get my mate to bring his flat screen. Well, it wasn't even a flat screen TV then, his TV over and his console, and we could hook it all up and try and play four-player with dual screens. And right. we had eight guys sitting around around the TVs, and then if there was too many guys, <laughs> you know, a couple of guys had to go in the pool while they're, they're waiting their turn and stuff. That's yeah. a very social, healthy thing to do, right? I bet if your if your son was doing that, playing with a whole bunch of mates, you probably wouldn't be that concerned. And, no. and me as a child psychologist, I wouldn't be concerned by that either. I'd say that's an awesome time, right? Right, yeah. The, the difference now is that the internet, and again, this is, this is why I call it the internet addiction clinic and not the gaming addiction clinic, right? The difference for me is the internet. When we started getting high levels of internet, um, and you know, in Australia we don't have very good internet, but <laughs> enough internet anyway to sort of play on servers where you can do everything from your bedroom. You can close your door and you can have the same social experience in your bedroom. That's when things changed. And even there's further research coming out in the last couple of years um, which suggests that you get higher levels of dopamine when you're playing online with other people socially than you are just against a computer. So again, the people that say, look, this wasn't a problem when I was a kid, you know, this is just parents not doing their job, I disagree because what has happened now is you're not getting as much dopamine back in the day. Now you're getting a lot more dopamine, right? So mm-hmm. if your son's sitting in his room playing, even if he's playing someone on the other side of the world, right, he might be playing someone in Australia who's never met. He's still getting more levels of dopamine than you were playing Resident Evil in your bedroom. And so whenever you have more levels of dopamine, it is going to be more enticing to stay on. And so 
you know, your occasional 2 a.m. like you were, young Ray sitting up until 2 a.m., all of a sudden turns into a week or two weeks or three weeks of that. And then you have those knock-on effects I was talking about before. That's Mm -hmm. when you start to see kids not want to go to school, not finish their homework, not go to sport. It starts to have those knock-on effects for development that I was talking about before. And I saw on your your Instagram, I think it was today, actually, I saw that you guys were discussing you and I, I forget who the other gentleman was, but that it may be having an effect on your on your physical as well. Yeah, so I, I did a quick um, interview with uh, with Paulie from Cohort CrossFit, who's a yeah. strength and conditioning guru out here. Um, so mm-hmm. done a whole bunch of professional athletes and stuff like that, Paulie. And yeah, I was just interested in, in his take on this because I was reading a study um, about how kids these days compared to kids 30 years ago have sort of lost the ability to do simple tasks like throw, catch, jump. Um, and even after the study, um, you know, moderated for all factors like weight, you know, kids just being heavier these days, mm-hmm. they still right. found that their abilities are less. And, you know, Paulie's take on that was really interesting that that he sees that in coaching kids um, where they just don't do as much general play, he calls it, um, which is the kind of, you know, out in the street skateboarding or, or you know, down to the beach having a surf or whatever it may be. Um, and he, so he sees a lot more injuries these days in teenagers um, and he puts that down to general play or thinks that's a big factor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so look, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and be an alarmist and say that, you know, screen addiction is ruining our kids health and they can't play anymore and that's the reason they can't jump i mean i that's a long bow to draw but we do have to start debating these questions right like what kind of knock-on effects is this having yeah yeah we do and it's it's something that i notice i honestly do and it my kids as well i mean i have i have a couple boys and and my younger one and and we we tend to do what exactly what you said you know when i was a kid i don't remember doing this or we used to play on the street and you know it was natural for us to play play sports and, and I, I question it a lot. And I have more so lately with my youngest, if, um, and I have him in basketball and all those things, but it's almost as if I have to force him, like he'd much rather, much rather sit in front of a TV and play Fortnite. Right. You know, if, if he had the, if he had the option, that's what he would do. And it's, and the crazy thing about all that is, is now it's, I guess before we knew gaming was something you did at home. Mm. Now there's, there's potential in it, right? And kids are seeing that. Like you asked my son what he wants, my youngest. And I literally, like I asked him what he wants to be when he grows up. He wants to be a YouTuber. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? And then my older son, the one who I spoke about earlier, I want to be a, a gamer. Professional you know, gamer. Yeah, professional gamer. And these just, these weren't, you know, this was not realistic when we were younger. These weren't professions. This was, you couldn't do it. Mm. You know, video gaming was, Almost, you know, if you did it too much or you're a loser, you're kind of wasting your life away. Mm. Now kids see this and they say, hey, these kids are making a ton of money off of it. Why can't I do it? And it, it kind of encourages them to, to dive deeper into it, which I think is a fine line because, yeah, there is potential in it. But, you know, how, like, how do you walk that line? It's just, it's tough. Yeah, so... It is tough, and, and, and I think one of the most difficult things um, for parents is because our natural reaction is to say, that's rubbish. Right. You're not going to be a YouTuber. You're not going to be a gamer. That's not a real profession. But how is that any different to your parents saying to you, you know, you can't be a professional basketballer? Um, because yeah. you were idolizing those guys. They were, you know, um, sports people, and, and they made a whole lot of money. Now, 
what were the chances of Ray Morales, you know, becoming a professional basketball? I don't know, Ray, you may be amazing and I may be under, <laughs> under quoting you here, man, but, yeah, I'll uh, you know, obviously, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm like five foot five, man. So I was never on that track either, but you know, that's the, that's the context here, right? Kids look up to pro YouTubers and pro gamers. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute that we start to say that that is rubbish and you can't do that, then they're going to get their back up about it. So to me, it's something that parents probably should shy away from. Um, but the reality is that if you want to be a professional gamer, I can tell you from firsthand experience, professional gamers spend at least 12 to 14 hours a day gaming, mm-hmm. right? Most mm-hmm. of them, and you hear stories from sort of Europe and, and Asia, where most of them, if you're on track to be a professional gamer, you have dropped out of school by 12 and you are playing something like 12 to 16 hours a day. Right. Now, I guess I would say that for Ray Morales' son trying to be a professional gamer, you know, he may be incredibly talented, but it's pretty hard to compete with that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's an option, and I don't think as parents, you know, it's never wise just to shut that down because it's going to create conflict um, between you and your child. Um, But we know as parents, we have the insight that that's not going to help. And I just want to touch on something else you mentioned here too, like, sitting in front of the TV um, back in the day and, and gaming and whatnot, or if your child had the option to do that now, I don't see that any as any different um, to, to you allowing your child to eat whatever they wanted, you know, as far as junk food and chocolate and, you know, soft drinks or pop, soda pop, you guys call it there. Um, you know, it's kind of given a kid carte blanche. So I always ask parents, would you let your child eat whatever they wanted unrestricted? No, of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't right. let them just put sugar into their body 24-7. Mm-hmm. Would you ban all sugar? I mean, you know, some parents do that, but I think that's a bit extreme as well. You've got to find something in the middle, right? So, yeah. you know, you asked me when we first started this, why do you call yourself the unplugged psychologist? I mean, I don't literally mean unplugged, right? Like I'm not talking about going off grid, you know, and, and, and like <laughs> waiting for the apocalypse and stuff. Right. I, I don't mind technology. I quite like it. I don't mind playing games one every now and then. I, I'm okay with kids doing that, but it has to be done in moderation. So you've got to ask yourself the question, is your child missing, you know, football practice or basketball practice or school or homework in order to game? Because if they're doing that stuff, then you've really got to step and think, you know, maybe that's not such a good thing. I have to get some boundaries around this. Yeah, and I, I agree with you there. And and I don't I don't think technology is a bad thing, but like you said, I mean you nailed it in moderation. And I when I do see it as a negative, and you see it a lot, and it's not just gaming, it's it's Instagram, Facebook, all these other outlets that people literally it starts affecting you and how you it, it depresses some people. Like right. I, I know I know I, I know people who I've spoken to personally who have, it's ruined their whole day literally ruined an entire day because of seeing something or comparing themselves to other people on Instagram. And for the life of me, I can't understand why you would ever do that. Right. But that, maybe I'm just different. I'm not, I'm not entrenched into social media. Mm. Like if, if you go on my, my, my personal page, I think my last post was maybe in October and I don't even have Facebook. So I, I rarely ever, right. rarely ever go on these things. I mean, obviously I have Instagram for the podcast, but I look at it very differently. Like I look at that as business. I don't do it for pleasure. Uh, I actually like, I have people who help me out with it, to be honest with you. 
Like I hate going on there. I don't spend hours and hours digging and going down the quote unquote rabbit hole as some people do. But there's a statistic out now that with females in particular from the age range of 18 to 22, that suicide rates have doubled and it's being tied back to social media depression. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read those studies as well. And, um, you know, there certainly seems to be some pretty convenient correlations between uh, smartphones coming out around 2010 or 2012 and, and smartphone mm-hmm. use uh, in general coming out um, for kids and then the uh, the incline in, in suicidal ideation and depression and anxiety, especially in teenagers. Um, you know, is it a causal link? No, um, but it doesn't look good. Right. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, I think it's enough evidence anyway for us to start questioning this stuff, right? But, you know, you, you mentioned people feeling really bad about themselves on social media. Um, you know, in psychology, Ray, we, we like to give things really fancy terms and fancy names, but really they're just kind of common sense. And so right. that's one of these things called the social comparison theory where you literally judge your self-worth based on what you see in other people. And, of mm-hmm. course, social media plays into that a little bit there um, in that you only see the perfect photos that everyone posts, right? You only see the perfect holiday with everything edited and filtered and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And for adults, that can be really tricky. But I would suggest to you that for kids and teenagers with underdeveloped brains and and the emotional ability, um, it's it's even more tricky. So it has to be done in moderation. Um, and I'm not suggesting, you know, that, that we have to kind of keep kids off forevermore and they should never go on it. Cause of course the counter argument is, well, what happens when they turn 18 or, or become an adult and then, you know, <laughs> aren't they supposed to be able to moderate it themselves? Of course. So it, it, it's a hard one. You know, I, even myself, um, I struggle with the idea that here I am talking about the unplugged psychologist project. Um, and it's something very ironic that I have to use social media platforms and podcasts to get my message out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the reality is I, I am on Instagram or I'm not personally on Instagram, but, um, the unplugged psychologist is, and, and I, I wasn't on it for years. I only did it maybe three months ago when I, I came to the conclusion that I needed to try to help parents with some parent tips, um, because Mm -hmm. I, I just can't see everyone that, that comes, you know, is referred to my clinic. Um, and so I I give stuff away on, on Facebook, on social media, on Twitter, on, on, um, my website, I I give free tips away, little short videos that that you kind of watched, um, Mm -hmm. just to try to help and get the message out there. But again, there's something very ironic about me having to do that through the channels, um, that I'm talking about. But anyway, the irony is not lost on me, right? Very ironic, but very necessary. That's right. You know, it's a necessary evil and it's the way of the world. It's how people receive information. So you got to play the game, I guess. Right. But you know, one thing I see and a lot of questions I get, especially when they knew I was going to talk to you is what's healthy. And these days I see a lot of people using these electronics as a babysitting device. Yeah. Literally to the point where, you know, babies are crying and I see people just shoving the tablet in their face and to shut them up or vice versa. You take the tablet away or phone or whatever you're using and the baby goes hysterical. So what is healthy? Like when, when should you introduce electronics to a kid? When or how long should they use them for or be exposed to them for? And at what age? And I know it's a hard question to answer because I'm sure it's, circumstantial, you know, case by case, but for a blanket answer, general guideline, what do you suggest? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good question. Um, 
And if, if I had a great answer to it, I, I would have written a book on this and, and I'd be some millionaire <laughs> on, on a beach sipping cocktails, right? Um, the short answer is we don't know, okay? Right. The American Pediatric Association has a paper on this, but it's mainly focused on sort of um, the zero to five age range. And I think that as a general rule of thumb, the younger the kids are, the easier it is to kind of give you a guideline and say this is how many hours it is. So I think from memory their guide is – uh, for under twos, you really shouldn't – under two years, you really shouldn't have um, many, if, if at all, any screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of goes up in some small increments, sort of half an hour, 45 minutes for three- and four-year-olds, et cetera. Right. Um, one of the reasons that I've started talking about this and being more public, because in general, child psychologists in Australia anyway um, are very conservative people. Uh, we don't like to be in the spotlight. Um, we, you know, for the first six years of owning my clinic, I declined every media interview I was ever asked to give. Um, I just didn't feel the need. Mm -hmm. I guess the reason that I changed that probably a year or two ago was because there wasn't a lot of information for teenagers going out there. So there was kind of a lot of guidelines on this stuff. What should parents actually do for zero to five range? There was not so much on the primary school or elementary school. I think you call it five to 12 age range. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for teenagers, there was pretty much nothing, you know, no one was talking about it, um, because it was just too tricky. It's like, you know, if you say two hours is fine, but three hours is going to blow them up. It's just too simplistic. Right. Um, so again, for under fives, you can read things like the American, um, pediatric association paper on screen use, and that'll give you a pretty good idea. Okay. Um, for elementary school, five to 12 and for teenagers, I will continue to avoid giving specific numbers and I move more towards that idea of development. And um, I know it's a short podcast, so we can't kind of go into it too much. I have a book coming out in, um, in June or July, um, which I think will be available in the States because you can buy it on Amazon and stuff. So you you should be able to get it. It's called the tech diet for teenagers. Um, And it goes into this stuff in a lot of detail really about, you know, how do you know what's enough time for your child? And I give an example in that around, um, you know, two kids are not the same. Two kids, say 12 years old, could both be having three hours of screen time a day, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But if kid A is spending the rest of his time just sitting around doing nothing, um, you know, maybe watching TV, then on Netflix doing other stuff like that, but kid B is spending the rest of his time doing his homework, hanging out with mates, going and exercising, getting to bed on time. Those are two very different kids from a mental health perspective, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I find it's just too difficult to say X amount of hours is okay and then this amount is not. It's more about what are the other things going on and is there a balance? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, as long as all the other boxes are checked, you're probably fine. But just like anybody else and just like anything else uh, in this world, such as alcohol and drugs, it comes down to each individual person. You know, some people have highly addictive personalities and we make the mistake of thinking that only happens to adults, right? No, but it happens to kids too. And we're starting to see that with gaming. Just like an alcoholic, they can't have one drink. They have to be completely dry. Whereas other people can have multiple drinks. It's the same thing with gamers. Absolutely. Right? Same thing. Some people can play for four hours and be completely fine, but others can't. You know, it's just each individual case-by-case scenario. But this is a whole, your therapy and your practice is very new and kind of cutting edge and, and 
foreign to a lot of people. So a lot of people might be skeptical about admitting their kids, especially because it costs a lot of money. I mean, what kind of success stories have you had? Yeah. So, um, actually I, I would just to address that last sort of comment, especially when you're younger, um, the earlier you catch it and do something about it, the better it is. Okay. So Mm -hmm. for parents out there that have kids in elementary school, um, you know, under 12, that is the prime time to do something about this and put some boundaries in place. If you wait until they're a teenager, in my experience, it becomes just exponentially more difficult. Um, so the trickiest years are when they're a teenager and that's typically because, you know, the hormones are going and they're much bigger and they're much more sort of oppositional because that's what teenagers are. You know, they're not going to listen to mum and dad. Um, that's all kind of normal, but it, it just makes things a lot more tricky. Um, as far as success goes, I mean, look, I don't have any data on this and, and this is something that I'll be doing in the future and working, um, on some sort of research in this area. Uh, let's see here. I, last I checked, it was about 60% of the cases that came to me for internet and screen addiction, um, showed significant improvement. Um, Mm -hmm. about 20% showed, you know, some mild improvement and about 20%, um, showed no improvement. And of those 20% that showed no improvement, um, really that means they dropped out of treatment. Um, they stopped coming. You know, maybe, right. maybe they don't like me or, or, or it just got too <laughs> tough and what I was asking them to do is just not for them. Um, so there's some encouraging signs there um, for me of the 60% that, that turn things around and do much better. A lot of them still have tricky parts. You know, it's still a constant kind of thing that sure. the parents have to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I mean by significant gains is, you know, they're being social again, they're playing sport again, they're getting their homework done, they're going to school, whatever that may be. And before we get you out of here, Brad, I know there's a lot of parents um, that are listening and a little bit lost and they don't know where to turn, but they might have a child or a teenager at home that they're worried about and that are showing signs of addiction and are checking off, you know, some of these warning signs that you alluded to a little bit earlier. Right but they're struggling at home. You know, they're getting in fights with the kids. Like you, like you said earlier, it's becoming physical for some people. Some kids are threatening suicide. You know, when you go to try to take away these counsels or limit it, it's literally becoming a heated battle or argument or, you know, a screaming match. What can parents do? Like, how do you, how do you combat that? And how do you navigate it? And when you have a kid at home and what would you tell parents that, you know, some steps they can take to get in front of it in their own home? Right. Um, I mean, first of all, we should say that if you have a child that's sort of getting to the point where they're threatening suicide and this sort of stuff, then really you need professional help. You know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing that you're going to see in a one minute video of me on Instagram or or this podcast that's going to cover that. Um, as a general rule, I guess there are some, some really key things that parents can start with. The first one is always sleep. Sleep is absolutely sacred for teenagers and for adults. Um, so if the only thing you do as a parent is is turn off the Wi-Fi um, at a time when your kids are supposed to be in bed, so if that's, you know, 9 o'clock or whatever time it is, um, turning off the Wi-Fi until they get up, that's really important because we see a lot of kids these days, I don't know about in the States, but in, in Australia, we see a lot of kids kind of waking up at 5, 5.30 a.m. to get up before mum and dad have, you know, to, to jump on. Yeah. Um, certainly see a lot of kids set alarms for random hours at night when they know mom and dad will be fast asleep. Um, so you should definitely turn the Wi-Fi off, um, at that time. 
And the reason I say turn the Wi-Fi off is because this can get really tricky for parents. Quite often we feel this false sense of security. Like if I take their phone or if I take their laptop, then I'm covered. Um, But there are so many devices in the house that can be used. Um, It's never covering it. If you turn the Wi-Fi off, you're pretty much covered. Now, I'm sure you guys have like cell phone data and stuff there. And if it's anything like Australia, the cell phone data plans are just getting astronomical to, you know, 50, 60 gigabytes um, for, right. for next to nothing. And so that that's a tricky part as well. But even if the first thing you do is just make sure 100% it's an insurance policy, even if your kids are not doing that and you don't suspect it, I say to parents, it's always good practice, right? Why take the risk? You know, it takes 30 seconds to unplug the modem and just put that in your bedroom or whatever it may be to ensure that your kids are not tempted to get up. Um, so that's the first thing, making sure that sleep is is absolutely um, clear there. I guess if you're in the realms of having arguments and difficulties around the day-to-day and especially in school holidays, you know, on vacation, this can be a real problem as well, um, trying to limit their use. One of the other things that I see that parents do that, that, that they feel is going to work, but I'm, in fact it doesn't work, is trying to limit certain sites. You know, so parents that kind of say, look, uh, I don't think I want you on Instagram and Facebook, but YouTube is okay, so I'm going to place you know, a, a filter on those two, um, but I'm, I'm not going to place it on YouTube, or, or I'm going to ban gaming, but I'm not going to do that. You know, nine times out of ten, Ray, it doesn't work. Um, I've had kids in my clinic that literally have taken down entire firewalls of schools um, in in two or three days, right? I mean, the reality is kids are much better at hacking and coding and all this sort of stuff than we ever will know. Yeah. So um, I've had parents where they are IT experts uh, and their kids, you know, lo and behold, are talented in that area and, and take down their filters in, in a day or two. So... I'd usually say to parents, don't get into this guerrilla warfare of like trying to figure out which sites are okay and which sites are not. For me, it comes down to internet on, internet off. That is the only way and the easiest way for you to ensure um, that there are some some pretty good boundaries in place. It's good stuff. It's valuable information, honestly. So for those people who want to follow you, Brad, and want to kind of follow along, because I know on your Instagram, uh, from what I've seen, you give out some really kind of daily pointers and some tips and tricks on how to deal with this stuff, where do they go to find you to follow along and hear what you have to say? Sure. So you can find me on uh, Instagram um, and Facebook uh, at, at Unplugged Psychologist. Um, and you can find me uh, at my website, um, www.unpluggedpsychologist.com. Um, yeah, you can find everything about me there. And, and for any parents out there who want some more practical tips or want to dive a little bit deeper, um, book will be released on June 17th, I think, but you can pre-order now. Um, and, and look, I should just make a point here. Um, you know, many books in the past that I've read on this topic are very sort of statistics heavy and research heavy and whatnot. That is not this book. This is a parent's playbook on how to do this, right? This is like getting your hands dirty and what do I actually do at home? Um, That's what I'm good at and that's what I wrote. What's the name of that book? So it's called The Unplugged Psychologist, Tech Diet for Teenagers. It'll come out on June 17th, I think. So everybody rush over to Amazon, get yourself a copy, actually pre-order it today like I'm going to do because I think it's going to be very useful. I know a lot of people can gain some good tips from it. So. 
I look forward to reading that book, Brad. Thank you for coming on. Honestly, this is a topic that a lot of people are struggling with and don't know where to turn and they're just very confused about. So you taking time out of your day, I know you're very busy. So to take time out to share your knowledge and experience with us is very appreciated. And thank you, honestly. Thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. You think that was cool? And that's our show for today. Thanks again, guys, for listening. Be sure to go follow this guy. He's got a lot of great information, and I know a lot of people are struggling with this at home. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns on this show or anything at all, email me, ray at wordsovericeshow.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and thanks again, guys.